What's up, my friends? Great to be with you guys here on Challenging Conversations show brought to you by the Edify Podcast Network, powered by the Christian Post. I am your host, Jason Jimenez, and it is my prayer that this show will help you guys stand strong in your faith as my guests and I equip you guys with the tools and skills to know what to say and how to say it when dealing with people of a different worldview than your own. Today's episode, no doubt, is going to be a heavy one. Matter of fact, most people consider this one of the most controversial topics in the family conversations that you have around the table, uh, whether it be at church, pretty much anywhere you go, this is a sensitive topic. And you might be wondering, well, Jay, what is it? What is the topic? It has to do with sex outside of marriage. Now, Perhaps you saw the tag, you saw the title and you clicked on it because maybe you have had sex outside of marriage. Maybe you felt ashamed or guilt or you don't think anything's wrong with it. And you're wondering, you want to know personally, uh, in a, maybe objectively, what does the Bible have to say? Why is it considered to be wrong outside of marriage? And if you've had sex outside of marriage, what is it? Where does it leave you? Are you, are you on the wrong side of God or does, can God forgive that type of sin? What if you wrong somebody else and having sexual intercourse outside of marriage, you know, how do you reconcile that relationship with that person? And on and on we go. That's why you guys, this is such a sensitive topic, but we want you guys to know that God does love you. And we're so glad that you guys are tuning in because I'm excited to be introducing to you one of my dear friends and colleagues, Sean McDowell. Perhaps you guys, I'm sure, have heard his name. He's been in the apologetic world for many, many years, and he has written a recent book about this very topic, and I thought it'd be great to bring him on to not just talk about the taboo of these kind of things, but also, and I think mainly, we need to talk about the beauty of sex. It's a gift that God has given us, and we need to understand the proper context of sex and what the Bible has to say about it. So without further ado, let me bring in my buddy, Sean McDowell. Welcome to the show, Sean. Yeah, good to have you. And I was just giving props to not only you, but the Superman shirt. So yeah, see, way to so go. If you guys are watching this, <laughs> I'm wearing Superman for Sean. And uh, But your favorite, though, is who is your favorite? I Spider-Man. Oh, is I'm it? I'm a Spider-Man guy, but I love Superman. I'll say so. The, the I'll say DC Superman totally. But I'm excited that Spider-Man, they're coming out with some new stuff. Like what's the, they are yeah. yeah what's the new one my my daughter was just telling me what is it again uh well the question is the sinister six all the bad super yeah. villains are coming so is is Tom Holland gonna also have the two older Spider Men with him and I think he's going to because now the multiverse has been opened up and yeah. you know so they can so I think it's gonna be fun we're gonna go midnight thursday whenever the soonest my son and i and my wife was like hey i want to go too i was like oh. yes this is going to be fun well you know it's, before we get started to into this this topic at hand uh, we we recently saw eternals and uh i gotta mm. tell you dude i was just sorely disappointed what did you see it yet nope there's reasons i'm not interested in seeing it and I've heard the same thing from a lot of people. So I'm not going to waste my time and money. I'm good. Well, and the other thing is, we'll see what I didn't do is I didn't realize some of the scenes about certain issues in it until I was there. And so it definitely mm. became a, a movie, I think, that's introducing more controversial things. And uh, I was shocked because I was traveling. We get back in and we said, let's go see it. And we didn't really see much of reviews. And again, that was my fault thinking that it was going to be kind of a typical Marvel, you know what I mean? But now there's more issues that were in there that I had to talk to my kids about afterwards. And so, yeah, I, I don't recommend people going to see that one at all. So, mm. yeah, anyway. Well, speaking of the topic, though, too, because I think 
as you know, in our culture today, uh, Sean, and you, you and I have, you have four kids, right? I got four kids. How many you got? Three kids. Yeah. Three kids. Why don't you go for four, dude? You could be like me. (laughs) It's not a competition, Jason. How many times do I have to tell you this? (laughs) Well, with me me being half Mexican, I only have four. If I was full, I would probably have eight. You know what I mean? But we had to cut it off. There you go. You know, what's amazing was my wife and I, we celebrated 20 uh, this past year. And we, when we first got married, I was thinking, I want to have five kids, six kids, maybe. And she's like, well, that's a, that's a lot. You know, I'm like, no, that'd be awesome. And then of course you have, yeah, we had Tyler, our son, and then we have Amy, our girl. I'm like, Hey, we got a boy girl. So let's just cut it off. Let's just, you know, we're good. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know what happened. We had two others somehow. I don't know what happened, but anyway, but that's our topic for today, Sean, we're going to be talking about sex, you know, and the, and the thing, yeah. You're see you're you're not bashful about this. That's what they love about it. It's like, dude, we've heard it all. So it's like, hey, just let's just have a let's just have a conversation about it. But in in the context though about sex though, as again raising kids, we have these conversations with our kids. You know, you and I were just talking about before the show. We got at this time this time of the recording, we have two kids who are going off to college within mm-hmm. this year, this coming year. And just looking back and saying, how have we prepped them? How have we prepared them? You know, um, as they do, you know, maybe fall in love at some point, we pray right to a godly woman. Um, but then having daughters as well, it's a little bit more difficult. But yeah. in our culture today, and I know not just in our travels and what we have in discussions and interviews, but when we do talk to our kids' friends, haven't you found that the conversation about sex is kind of different than when you and I were growing up in the 80s and 90s? I mean, what, what are you seeing now today with millennials and, 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 and Gen Z with plurals? Well, yes, I think it's different on a lot of levels. And one is just the amount and access of information and nonstop saturation of an unbiblical idea is different. So when we grew up, it was like, well, it's going to come through MTV (laughs) and maybe a little bit in, you know, the educational system or maybe – you know, a friend's got a stash of porn, like the the channels to get to people on this issue were somewhat limited, although the music and the movie certainly had ideas that were contrary to biblical worldview. Now it's anything, anytime, anywhere, virtually no taboos mm. as long as it's considered consensual. That's right. In every Netflix show, TikTok video, social media the amount of information and the big change I think is the ubiquity of porn, Mm. the ubiquity of porn. I think this has shaped how this generation thinks about sex and relationships more than anything else. It affects their brains. It affects their bodies. It affects their expectations. This is truly a pornified generation. I think the other differences, there's also a lot more hurt and depression and loneliness Mm -hmm. And we were seeing the data trending that direction yeah. before COVID, but it only was exacerbated through COVID. So you take emotional hurt, relational break- breakdown, an increase in secularism, That's right. and this nonstop message of an unbiblical or non-biblical, sometimes anti-biblical view of sexuality, we can begin to understand kind of the soup our kids swim in, so to speak, on these issues. Yeah, well said. I think that's a good summary. And what I want to do is I want to actually start with that because you and I, you know, in, in, you know, in pastoral roles to the years and, you know, coming alongside the local church and ministering to, you know, families, couples, you know, 
young people who are talking about uh, marriage and we work at Summit Ministries where every summer we always get, you know, inundated. And you do a lot of these classes for us at Summit on premarital yeah. issues and sex and marriage. And so I would like to discuss in a minute, I want to give you a quote from the Biblical Counseling Coalition. But after I give you this quote, let's talk about how this taboo movement in the in the culture of the church, which again, you and I would say has not been the best approach at all. It's not a biblical mm. one, um, you know, and, you know, and again, you know, we can get into some of the stuff when I started to start youth, youth ministry in 1998, you know, I kissed good dating, but goodbye. Th- those kind of movements are out. <laughs> Remember that? And, you know, and, and, and all these, um, and, and, and there's good, there's good and bad about it. So I like for us to kind of examine that first and foremost, because you and I, a lot of our crowds, uh, that that's what they don't like the traditional, this, this tabooish anti whatever. Uh, and then you get the ones who are going to ar- you know, argue that nowhere in the Bible does it say sex outside of marriage is, is bad, but really fundamentally and philosophically, I want to talk in morally, is it bad? You know, what's wrong with sex outside of marriage? So we can understand mm. that because obviously on this podcast is get two guys like us to have a conversation. So people listening and watching, they can say, that's the proper way Ephesians 4.15 to speak the truth and love on this particular topic. You know what I mean? And because you and I, we, we don't, we love, but we don't necessarily condone the way that certain camps come off and, and, and they don't want to talk about sex at all. And it's like, it's always bad. And that causes mm. some people like, you know, to go off in the deep end sometimes. But the Biblical Counseling Coalition writes this, Sean, it says premarital cohabitation has become common in the church because many Christians have made today's secular values. You were just saying that their own. Our society cherishes trying before buying convenience at any cost, <laughs> mm-hmm. sex without rules, companionship without commitment and relationship without responsibility. Everything premarital cohabitation provides instead of questioning such values, if not downright opposing them, countless Christians have adopted them. It's no wonder so many of them are living together before tying the knot in quote, how, you know, just give me your thoughts real quickly on what they're saying about even not just sex outside of marriage, but even just cohabitation before marriage. Yeah. So I was talking to my students about this on Tuesday and a student raised her hand and said, what's cohabitation? I said, well, <laughs> right. good question. Cause as a high school student, I said, well, it's when you live with somebody yeah. uh, and in virtually all cases, somebody of the opposite sex and you are having sex together outside of the marital commitment. And the assumption is like this article says, you know, if we're going to, well, let's test drive this and mm-hmm. see if it's going to work. And the point I made to the students, and I have a whole, I have a whole chapter on this in, in the book, is I said, there is nothing you can learn through cohabitation that you couldn't learn any other way that has any relevance for having a future successful marriage. That's right. Nothing that you can't learn another way. And actually living with somebody puts you at a disadvantage for a range of different reasons in having a successful future marriage. And some of that is because guys and girls tend to have different expectations in a cohabiting relationship and you don't in marriage because you state it. Mm -hmm. That's one reason why. Another reason why is people think that living together is giving them like a simulation what the real thing will be like, but living with somebody lacks the very thing that makes marriage work, which is commitment. (laughs) 
right? I mean, yeah. I, we were t- I would, literally Tuesday, I was talking to my students. I said, take a couple living together. And they're arguing over something. I said, I want to know who's more free. The person who's arguing says, I can just walk out the door any moment I want to because we're not married. Or my wife and I, who might differ strongly and be upset with each other, but she knows I will never leave her. And I know she will never leave me. Mm-hmm. Who is more free? And the students thought about it and they're like, actually, you're more free because of the commitment and the trust that is there. And I said, that's exactly right. And yet our culture is proclaiming the opposite. Yeah, I, I think that's a powerful way to demonstrate young people. Um, and sadly, a lot of them don't have good examples at home. And so that in mm. itself kind of puts them at a disadvantage, don't you think, Sean? Well, I think that's true. And I'm glad you brought this up because it's important to realize that a lot of people live together with good intentions. Right. Yeah. Not everybody. Yeah. Some guys are like, I'll live with this girl because I'll have sex with her and maybe she'll help with the laundry and I don't have to get married. I'll take this route and ride, you know, ride this as long as I can, so yeah. to speak. So there's some people without good intention. But there's an awful lot of people with good intention that have seen broken relationships. Yeah, right. And they're doing this because they want to have lasting, successful relationships. That shapes how I approach this with compassion and grace and realize they're not doing it because they're trying to disobey God and be a rebel the way certain Christians might characterize it. In some cases, people really haven't thought through and don't know any better and don't know what it takes Mm. to have a successful marital relationship. So if you haven't seen that modeled, then it makes perfect sense that someone would live together and have a hard time finding that good model and example. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. So to encourage people who are married, who have a good marriage, right? I like my wife and I like to say after 20 some odd years that we have a, a marriage, what we love each other more than we, we first met, right? That's, that's the, mm. the intent of marriage. You know, your best friends, some of the things I, I give the three C's when I'm doing a, a wedding, you know, is alluding back to what you just said earlier. One, it's a covenant. You're walking into a covenant relationship, right? We know Ecclesiastes mm. 314, you know, 312, that, you know, third court strands not easily broken. And that triangle or relationship between God, the man and the woman and then through that, like you said, there is a commitment that you're making, submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord, Ephesians 5, 21. And then there's that companionship that you want to marry your best friend, someone that you are going to spend the rest of your life with and, you know, Lord willing, have children with. Um, and and if you don't have that, it, it's it's kind of sad. And you kind of see, um, I remember going, let's go back to the church now, because I remember Sean so many people when I was engaged and I was a young youth pastor yeah. and I was engaged with, to my wife to be, mm-hmm. and so many people in the church were negative, like all oh, the ball and chain. Are you sure you want to do this kind of stuff? How, how, I mean, you've, you've heard that, right? Just this kind of negativity about marriage in the church. And if, of course I have. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk, how has that affected you think not just our generation, but the current generation, how's that affected when people are kind of negative about marriage in general? 
Well, so let's go back to what we said before, that this generation is largely shaped in their sexual ethic by pornography. Yeah. Pornography is not about married couples with kids. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. And I'm not saying that because I watch it and have a study on it, but because I know the ethic of pornography Mm -hmm. is that a non-committed, one-time spontaneous sexual act is the most fulfilling. That's the narrative of much of pornography. That's the opposite of what you're experiencing and the opposite of what scripture teaches. So if sex is just purely about physical pleasure, then fine, go have sex with a bunch of people. But if sex is meant, and I don't mean just fine, I mean, if that's what we reduce it to, it makes sense that people are going to do that. But sex has a relational, it has a spiritual, it has a, an emotional component designed by God to be best experienced when all of those are present in a married relationship. So the fault that the church has made, I think, responding to what you said earlier about this, you know, don't have sex, it's bad movement. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. taboo. Sometimes the church has also said, one is to say, well, sex is bad, don't do it. The other fault the church sometimes has made is we say, you think the world has good sex? <laughs> Come to church, we'll give you the best sex. Yeah, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. We're playing by the exact uh, playbook of our culture rather than scripture. Mm-hmm. So what we should say is that sex is designed not just for physical pleasure in the way the culture describes it. It's meant for commitment, vulnerability, love, and trust. And it is most beautiful. In fact, somebody flourishes the most and has a deeper sense of love, the kind that you're describing with your wife 20 years in. And obviously 20 years in, nobody looks like the way they did on their honeymoon date, you know? But why has love improved as our bodies have gotten older? It's because sex is designed for a loving, committed marital relationship where there's trust and there's care and there's Mm -hmm. commitment. That's the beautiful experience of sex that God has designed it to be. And that's what we need to talk about more so than just comparing ourselves to this cultural narrative that I think is hollow and unbiblical. Yeah. You, you made me wonder with our friends now, you know, getting in our forties and stuff, why can the guy gain weight years into the marriage, but the woman can't, you know what I'm saying? And you look at some of these guys, I'm thinking, dude, you're, you should be ashamed of yourself, man. Look at your gut. Wow. Wow. It's like, this is the Bible talk about gluttony. You know what I mean? But it's, I mean, it's, so it's amazing though, too, where, and that's, a, and I just, as in a joke, but it is amazing where love goes beyond just physical appearance, if you will. You know what I mean? Because like you said, you, Absolutely. you know, that your, your, your spouse, you know, knows all of your flaws, right? You can't hide them anymore. Um, you know, you probably tried that in, in, in that early erotic stage of just, you know, always trying to be on your best behavior, best appearance, you know what I mean? And, and eventually, and I know some people just throw it all out together, right? I, I got the gal now I'm good. And they just let their, their, their belly, you know, just come on flopping out. But it's like you, you do, despite their flaws, there, there is a, 
there's grace, there's beauty, there's appreciation. Like you said, mm. there's vulnerability. I mean, to be vulnerable with someone, not just that you're, you know, naked before each other, but just vulnerable emotionally, because obviously sex is not just a physical act. It's an emotional one. And I, I want to show you a clip in a minute. Uh, you know, when people argue that sex is just a physical, you know, erotic act and that's it. It's nothing more than that. You know, it's not tied mm. to people in the spiritual sense, you know, with the soul body connection or anything like that. It's a one night stands or they're perfectly fine. Um, so I definitely want to, you know, get your response in that, but you're right. It's, it's, that's the other thing is that people don't realize though. And all of this is that, that you said that the vulnerability in the midst of, of mm -hmm. this between the spouses and, you know, when you, when you ignore that or, or think less of that, you don't, and not just appreciate sex as a gift, but I think you undermined um, the very act itself. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and again, people who've been, who are listening and watching, Sean, they know, especially people who are older than us and been married a lot longer than us and have more wisdom to offer in this conversation. Um, the guy gal dynamics, right. And differences of how they approach sex is different. How a guy views and looks at sex versus, you know, how a woman looks at sex. So real quickly mm. speak to that. Like, so we understand when a guy, again, a godly man who's approaching sex, and a gal approaching sex, because I, I think what you alluded to earlier as well, and making that contrast, the world says, Hey, you know, have at it. You know, there's nothing wrong. If you have these desires, go for them and have any, you know, define and determine any gender with anybody you want. And then, like you said, some churches and you and I know some of these people, uh, you know, who throw a bed on stage and, you know, and telling all their congregation to have sex every day. And let's talk about in our small groups on Sunday. And you're thinking, you know, that's a little too, too much. Don't you think, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, okay. I mean, I know the song of Solomon exists and let's have, let's, let's talk about sex, baby, you and me, but it's like, don't like, don't go too far like this, but what go back though, to you know, just that distinction of a man viewing sex and how he sees sex in a woman and just how they need to connect and be on the same page. Yeah, so this is a this is a complicated question because there are general differences in how men approach sex compared to how women tend to approach mm -hmm. sex. There's biological differences, and I think there are some emotional differences, but they don't look exactly the same with every man and with right. every woman. So the key is not to say there's no differences between men and women or to just say that they're so minimal that they make no difference, you know, at all, or like we can err on both sides of this, so to speak. I think the bottom line is any husband's just got to ask, I'm a man, I will speak for men. How does my wife feel most secure? Mm -hmm. How do I care for her? Rather than I want to have sex because it feels good and it's good for me and I need release or fill in the blank. Simply say, what does it mean to love my spouse and care for her? And then the wife starts to ask the same question. It's that selfless approach that spouses take to each other that makes sex so beautiful and meaningful and wonderful and so countercultural to a culture that says, as long as you're not hurting anybody, mm -hmm. then it's fine. So the minimal ethic is just don't hurt somebody. The Christian ethic is love 
that person, care for that person. And that should be in all relationships, all areas of life, including the area of sexuality. So men should ask themselves the questions because men and women tend to be wired differently. Mm -hmm. How is my wife wired? Where does she just get the most joy and security out of our relationship as a whole and out of sexuality? And am I sacrificing my desires and wants for her? Isn't that in line with what Jesus said when it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church? Amen. What we've done in the church sometimes is we've almost made women responsible for men's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Well, girls, you got to look really good because otherwise he's going to look at porn. Well, girls, if you don't have sex with them three times, he's going to be tempted into porn as if a woman is responsible for a man keeping himself pure. If a wife, for whatever reason, I'm not even saying this is just, this would go against Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, says, you know what? For a year, I'm not having sex with you. I think that would be unbiblical. You read it. (laughs) But that's not an excuse whatsoever for a man to look at pornography or to not love and care for his wife. Mm -hmm. That's the heart of the question. How do I love and care for my spouse? And when both parties do that, there's a deeper satisfaction and meaning that comes from sex that is lost on our culture who sees it just as a physical thing. So before we, I show you this clip about sex just being physical and get your response to teach our listeners and people watching, how would you go about, again, getting in a friendly debate, right? Uh, a discourse between people who support sex outside of marriage, think that it's, that, hey, look, you you have the moral claim, you have the moral right. It's your body, it's your choice type thing, right? Um, and the movement obviously adds, you know, as long as it's consensual, right? If two people are consenting to the act of, of having sex intercourse, you know, leave us be, you know, stay out of our business. Mm-hmm. And in a way we're like, well, look, I don't, I don't want to know what you do in your home and in your bed. I'm not, you know what I mean? Sure. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, jump in there, but we're talking right. about just as, <laughs> as moral creatures, right? Like let's tie, let's have an ethical conversation about this. And then of course, if somebody's professing to be a Christian, well, let's look at what the Bible says. And of course, before we end the show, we'll, we'll look at, you know, some passages of scripture that you think are, are powerful examples of dealing with the issue of sex outside of marriage. Mm-hmm. But real quickly though, um, what would you say then is one of the big reasons why though in the church world, I mean, you've, I mean, you've been out speaking 20 plus years easily, right? Um, something like that. Yeah, thousands of churches. You're getting old, dude. I wasn't going to say this, but I, you know, every time I see, you, I see more white gray hairs, dude. I'm worried. I'm concerned. At least you saw the spikiness. If when, when, when I see you and you're just bald, that's when I know you got to retire, dude. Okay. That's the oh, way. Man, just, it's <laughs> you, all right. I know you feel that. Uh, uh, <laughs> what is the, what is the big reason why though, uh, churches kind of make the sex thing taboo though, in all the churches you've been in different denominations, it just kind of seems like. We don't, everything we've said thus far, we, we don't really handle it in a very biblical fashion. You know what I mean? Why you is know that? why? Because ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Just this morning, I was teaching a high school class. Three mornings a week, I had a Christian school. So full-time Biola still teach high school mm-hmm. part-time. And I was talking with them about this question. 
and I invited, I invite teachers and youth pastors to come sit in my class anytime and just watch and observe. Give me feedback, see if they learn anything. And he sat in today and he goes, man, that was an interesting conversation, but I could never have this in my church. I said, why? He goes, our church just, they're afraid to have this conversation because they don't have a clue mm. how much our kids are getting these messages through the educational system, TikTok, Netflix, other kinds of social media. They'd rather just convince themselves that it's somebody else's kid then deal with the messiness of it. So I think right. ignorance is bliss is one of the biggest reasons. Another reason is just an unbiblical viewpoint that we don't yeah. realize. I mean, this is why if you go back to the 80s, my dad actually led the very first sexual purity campaign in the church, long before True Love Waits, long before I kissed dating goodbye. It was called Why Wait? And I interviewed yeah. him about this. And he goes, son, the church message was sex is bad. Mm -hmm. And he goes, there's not a single passage in the Bible that says sex is bad. The Bible says sex is good and it's beautiful and it's meant to be pleasurable. Read the Song of Solomon. <laughs> but it's when we step outside of God's design yeah. that sex is bad and hurtful and harmful. So I think it's a combination of ignorance being bliss, bad theology, and frankly, there's a lot of people who figure, you know what? I was raised with this message. We didn't talk about sex and I turned out fine. So that's how I'm going to raise my kids and my grandkids. My answer is you need to get your head out of the sand yeah. because the world has totally changed. Wow. Well said, man. I appreciate that. All right. So let's, let's jump to this clip that I want to show you and get your response afterwards. Okay. Um, I do think it can just be physical. I've had sex with people that I've, I mean, they were cool, but like I wasn't interested in anything else other than sex and then that was it. And you know, they go on and I go on and it was fine. It's definitely for me personally been something that has been just physical at times, um, both in and out of committed relationships. I think that's a really important point to make that, that sometimes it can be used as uh, a tool or, uh, you know, or as just a, a way to, to blow off steam after a hard day or something that just doesn't require a deeper connection every time. Um, I'll reiterate, I almost always prefer it when there is a deeper connection. It definitely enhances the experience. Mm -hmm. So you hear that that's basically them talking about sex just being a physical act and notice it's so interesting mm -hmm. where if, if there was nothing wrong with it, why are people always having to use the word committed or I'd r rather be a committed relationship as though like how long is that commitment anyway? We were just talking about earlier about marriage is about commitment forever. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Not just, you know, for a period of time until you guys fall out of love or you're not attracted to the other person or whatever the case may be. How do you respond, you know, to Christians listening, whether they are pastors, young people, uh, parents, you know, we got a lot of parents who listen, grandparents and say, hey, guys, this is how you can have a conversation, speaking the truth in love to maybe your grandson, your granddaughter, a son, a daughter, or even a colleague, friend, right? Everyone's claiming to be Christian here. How do you respond, Sean, or how should a Christian biblically respond to when someone says, well, I, you know, I think people who have sex outside of marriage, as long as they're, again, consensual, they're in a committed relationship, there's nothing wrong with it. How do you respond to that? I wish I was on that panel. <laughs> Sometimes you and insert I yourself, I, yeah. 
I wish I could ask them some questions. Mm-hmm. I'd say, does it strike any of you as interesting that we're even having this yeah. conversation? That's right. Why do we have to ask the question, mm-hmm. is sex just physical? Yep. Because we don't have the question, is shaking somebody's hand just physical? Yep. Is a side exactly. hug just physical? Is playing a sport and running just physical? We don't have that conversation because we all know that it's just physical. Mm-hmm. But we do have this conversation when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. Why? Because, and I'd point to the younger guy or the guy and I'd say, because there's something inside of you yeah. that suggests it's more than just being physical. That's why you said you prefer sex. I forget the words you use, where there's intimacy and there's trust and there's closeness. Why do you prefer it that way? Yeah. Because I think there's mm-hmm. something in your heart, I would say to him, that tells you that's how sex is meant to be experienced. And I think we know it. I'd say, so let me ask you a question. Do you all support the Me Too movement? Of course we do. If sex is purely physical, then could we take the sexual component out of the Me Too movement and it would still have its same force? And of course they would say, no, it's actually the fact that sex was involved. And yes, there's the element of it being unconsensual. I get that, or not yeah. consensual. But that's not the only factor. Right. Because there could be non-consensual other physical activity that doesn't bother you as deeply as sex abuse does. So the issue is not about consent. Why is this issue of sexuality so deep, so raw, that when somebody takes it from us, we remember it? And you, to the young man, yearn more, maybe because you've been fed a bunch of lies by our culture that this is just a physical activity, but your heart cries out for more and you know sex isn't just physical. Mm. That's what I would say. Now, by the way, I actually do think physical activities communicate things. I'll give you an example. I have a buddy, not a Christian, and he was telling me that he was having sex with a whole bunch of girls. And I said, do you ever feel guilty? He's like, McDowell, it's just sex. Doesn't mean anything. It's only physical activity. I was like, I was somewhat at a loss for words. So I thought about it, came back. I can't remember how many weeks later I was with him. I said, hey, got a question for you. Do you think a handshake means anything? He's like, yeah, like you're signing a deal. I said, okay, I agree. Do you think a slap on the face communicates anything? He goes, yeah, it's an insult. I said, do you think a kiss on the cheek communicates anything? He goes, yeah, affection. I said, so if a handshake communicates a business deal, a slap on the face, an insult, Mm. and a kiss on the cheek, affection, then how can you tell me sex means nothing? What do you say? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, Jason, he looked at me. I don't think there's anything you can say to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, all he was just like, good point. Hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. We know yeah. sex communicates trust. We know it communicates vulnerability. It communicates permanence after all, because it's the one act 
that a living human being can come into existence and that living human being is going to need its mom and its dad and then its kids, you know, mom and dad for grandparents, its entire life. Sex is it communicates permanence because a living being can come out of it. So I feel sorry for that girl who thinks it's just a physical activity because I know she doesn't really believe that. She's obviously searching for real relationships, but has been fed a bag of lies by our culture that says it's just physical. Mm. We know it means more. You know, there's, there's the, I was looking up as you're talking to me and I wrote this in challenging conversations and it's by Nadia Boltz Weber and she's a former mm. ordained Lutheran pastor. And it was a famous book. It came out a few years ago called shameless, a case for not mm-hmm. feeling bad about feeling good about sex. And she essentially Boltz Weber essentially advocates that sex is not mm. to be restricted to married couples. She says sexual expressions of any form should be celebrated as long as they are based on mutual consent and respect. And then another writer, this other young millennial writer, uh, very liberal, uh, you know, progressive Christian. She was, she contends in her book that outside of a marital relationship, sex can still be just as meaningful and just, she used the word, not just meaningful, but as sacred. And she says the attitudes and perspectives of the people involved are what matter. So here you have some of these quote unquote Christians though, Sean, who, and this is where, if you want to present an argument biblically where the Bible does speak against sex outside of marriage, these are people who are saying, no, I mean, yes, yes, I, Sean, I agree with you. Sex out, sex is a gift from God. God created us as sexual creatures and that when you have a consensual, mutual relationship with somebody out of respect and you are being vulnerable and you have that act is as sacred and meaningful with somebody who's not married versus somebody who is married. And these are Christians who are saying this is okay. How would you now biblically respond to saying you're taking scripture out of context? What scripture would you use to say that you're taking this out of context? How would you respond to that? Well, sadly, this progressive pastor you're referring to, not Weber, but the other one has bought a complete Gnostic worldview. Mm-hmm. By Gnostic worldview, it's yep. one that favors the mind and disparages the body. Yep. So basically come to the conclusion is that the body carries no inherent meaning. As long as we decide the context, then sex outside of marriage is just as meaningful as sex within marriage. So our mind trumps our bodies. Yeah. That's a Gnostic worldview. That's not a biblical worldview. The Bible says we are embodied beings. We are body and we are souls. And we are to honor God with our bodies. Offer our bodies as a living, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, right? Mm-hmm. And love, offer your bodies as well to the Lord. Love God with your bodies. And so we can't just say one trumps the other. This is the same reasoning we hear behind a lot of the transgender narrative. Well, as long as we decide something, the body's malleable. Mm-hmm. That's not a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is God has made us male and female, and marriage is meant to be a man leaves his mother and father, clings with his wife, and the two shall become one. That's right. That is God's design for body and for 
soul. Now, Weber, I haven't read that book. She has rightly recognized the hurt of mm-hmm. shame, which is poured on people. Yeah. And so I can agree with her and say, wow, shame is a big problem. And we in the church have not done a great job of protecting people from shame. The solution is not to change what the Bible says about God's design. The solution is to talk about how Jesus took our shame and liberates us from shame on the cross, crying out for forgiveness and wholeness and starting over. That's the solution to shame, not rejecting what the scripture teaches. So real quickly, as we wrap up, where in scripture would you make the case that sex outside of marriage? You said that here's the framework that God has put together from Genesis 1 and 2 to Matthew 19, reinforcing what you just said and Paul quoting from Moses. When someone says, yeah, but the Bible does not specifically say sex outside of marriage is wrong, morally wrong, however you want to phrase it. How would you respond to that? Well, partly that's because of the culture that people lived in. It wasn't like, hey, (laughs) you can just go hook up with somebody and it's morally fine. It was understood and taught that sex is to be reserved for marriage and marriage is something that's publicly celebrated with commitment. So it didn't condemn it because there wasn't the same kind of phenomena we've seen since the sexual revolution, arguably going back to the 19th century coming to fruition in the 60s and 70s. So it didn't need to, but it sets up a pattern of what marriage is supposed to be. Always says that marriage is one man, one woman who become one flesh for one lifetime. And if somebody is sexually active in any fashion, it's toward their spouse in that married relationship. All other kind of sexual immorality is univocally and unequivocally condemned. So it's not like you just turn to one verse and it says, don't have sex outside of marriage. I think if if Paul wrote that, his church would be like, why are you telling us this? (laughs) This makes no sense. Now we know the church in Corinth and others weren't living certain things out. We get that, that there was sexual immorality. They understood what God had taught. They were just failing to live it out. Mm -hmm. So I think the gist of scripture And you ask, what does it mean to love God with body and soul? What does it mean to love and honor other people with body and soul? And it's very clear that sexual activity is reserved to one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime marriage. Mm. Well, I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you for your time. And just, I mean, again, we know it's a sensitive topic, not just because sex in itself obviously is, is a sensitive topic because it's one of the most vulnerable, precious, intimate acts that you can do with someone else. Uh, but if you don't, if you do it properly in the way that God intended in marriage between a man and a woman, it's a beautiful thing. And we want to encourage people who are married to have that sexual intimacy together, because that's a gift that God has given each mm. partner to give to one another. And as you, you know, said with three kids, I mean, through that and in, in my relation with my wife, we have a beautiful children, you know, and that's how God, mm. you know, has, has, has made, a way for us to procreate and to experience Mm -hmm. that. And so it's not just a physical act. And so I appreciate, you know, you talking about these things in a delicate way. And hopefully that encouraged many people to know how to properly respond. So I appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for being willing to have this challenging (laughs) conversation. Appreciate it. 
Well, my friends, that's going to do it for us here at Challenging Conversations show. I just want to read you before we go a passage of scripture found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says, for you know, verse 2, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is conveying an instruction. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's a big term, but just being set apart for God's work. Notice he says that you abstain from sexual morality and that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So thank you guys for listening and taking time to learn how you can have a challenging conversation when it comes to sex outside of marriage. Again, if you have struggled in this particular area and you need help, I pray that you would go to a Bible teaching church and seek help from a pastor or maybe even a biblical Christian counselor to help you work through these things. As Sean was talking about, a lot of people have a lot of shame when it comes to sex and we need to be Christians who are boldly and lovingly able to have these conversations to make them feel loved and not feel like God can never forgive them. So thank you guys for your support and your prayers. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends.